Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, giving you even more specialized support than ever before. Like access to the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders ready to tackle anything from the most complex trading questions to a simple strategy gut check. Need assistance? No problem. Get 24-7 professional answers and live help and access support by phone, email, and in-platform chat. That's how Schwab is here for you, to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Let's bring in our next guest. My question is for you, Molly. Do the rich invest differently than schmoes like me? Well, you have to define the rich as our next guest is going to because there are the mere mortal millionaires and then there are billionaires and then there's a nice group in between called the centimillionaires. <laughs> We're going to learn that. a lot more about them. <laughs> Barbara Goodstein is the CEO at R360, uh, catering to the investment needs of high net worth individuals. Thanks for stopping by in the studio. What, what does R360 do, first of all? It's a community for ultra high net worth wealth creators and their families who are trying to navigate the challenges of having these very large family enterprises. And so we bring this community together and people meet and talk about opportunities and challenges. Why do they need to come together? Because when I become an ultra high net worth individual. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yes. Well, you would be surprised. You actually would want to talk to people because first of all, that level of wealth can be isolating, but even more importantly, people are getting ideas from each other. We have some of the most successful people in the country and they're sharing ideas on macro global trends with each other. And then they're all benefiting from hearing those different ideas. So tell us about who some of these quote centimillionaires are and those are people that have at least $100 million in wealth. That's right. So uh, one of the people that we have in our network is one of the largest hedge fund managers in the country. And he has been very vocal educating our group about the benefits of investing in Bitcoin. And had I listened to him, I would have tripled my money. Um, he told us that three things are going to happen, that Bitcoin is going to be marked to market, and it was in January, that uh, ETFs were going to come out, and they just did. And now we have a phenomena called have and that's going to happen in April of this year. And he told the group that this is going to generate enormous growth and opportunity in Bitcoin. So that's the type of person that we have in the group. These are people who inherited their wealth or they actually made the money with hard work and starting a business? So it's actually both. We have a lot of wealth creators. We also have some people who have inherited the wealth and now they're extending the business that they inherited through the next generation. So we have both. And these are, so a lot of this, what is um, the, what they're talking about with each other? You said like macro ideas. I, 
I don't think, though, that these people really want to share where their money's being invested, though, right? Like, does that come up at all? Well, they actually are happy to share with each other. And that's the fascinating part about this community. Everybody's sharing lots of information, personal information, as well as investment information. And so, again, we've got another um, member who has written six books on theoretical physics, and he's uh, got a PhD in quantum computing. Oh, I, and I think I know who this is, <laughs> actually. <laughs> and uh, he's been advising everybody to invest in quantum computing. At the, there's going to be an enormous rise there. Um, Russia and China are creating something called hack-proof quantum computing. And so we're now looking at investing in uh, South Korea Telecom has built an alternative to that. So, okay, so what, uh, as an indiv individual investor myself, what can I learn from them? So I think you could learn about, again, macro global economic trends, things that are coming. So we are very focused on the defense area. We think that there's going to be an enormous increase in defense spending across the world, and we've already seen it. Poland just bought 1,000 tanks from South Korea. That's more than Germany, France, and the UK combined. And that is small compared to what's about to happen in the United States and Russia. So if you're interested in global defense spending, there are a lot of opportunities in that space. What happens, Barbara, if your net worth changes so substantially that either you've been now minted as a billionaire or maybe you're less fortunate and fall into the low single digits of just millionaire status? Can you still be in this club? So we actually have a lot of billionaires in the club. So the average net worth is $400 million. The minimum requirement is $100 million. So we have a number of billionaires. And the priority in this group is to find people that share the same values. These are people who want to go from prosperity to purpose. They're going from having built extraordinary lives to building extraordinary legacies. So that's the priority, is finding people with the same values and the same interests. You're talking about uh, philanthropic endeavors? Yes, many of these people are uniquely philanthropic. We have people that uh, one couple is um, building the largest foundation to support cochlear ear implants in their states. We have another person who's the largest employer of people with disabilities in her state. So a tremendous philanthropy. and. One of the requirements is that people have the same um, values, that they're not coming there to use each other. They're coming there to build this community and share with each other. Barbara, so. I wish we had more time. Barbara Goodstein, the uh, CEO at R360, catering to the investment needs of high net worth individuals. Thanks for stopping by the studio. You're listening to The Team. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, and the Bloomberg Business app, or listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Well, uh, traders seem to be grappling with the timing of rate cuts, Molly, even how many, and that's making for, I'm going to guess, a pretty bumpy road ahead. For It's a real toss-up this year. Who the heck knows? Uh, James Demert is Chief Investment Officer at Main Street Research and it looks like he's in a loft in San Francisco somewhere. Do I have that right, James? <laughs> That's it a cool looking office. Like one. All right. Yeah, do you have any? Do you have any clarity for investors on the path forward? And what's in the driver's seat? Yeah, I think the investors should stop fretting about the Fed. I mean that that's that's over with. And this economy is very resilient. And in our view, we're entering um, an AI-led super cycle. 
And and we we sort of a lot of logic that we bake into that is that we're going into an era of a very different in a sense of enhanced productivity growth, uh, something we haven't seen in the last cycle, but we did see in the '90s. And so we see uh, the opportunity here in a resilient economy with stocks cheap. Um, that it's most likely a new business cycle, a new bull market, and of course, as I mentioned, AI tech led. And so I think you know the Fed. Uh, will probably cut. I'm not sure they need to cut as most as much as people think they do, um, and I think that's because earnings are going to probably be better than expected this quarter and for the rest of the year. So I think people should maybe just stop so much with the Fed talk, which has been really uh, obviously consuming us all for the last two years. I think it's going to be more about uh, earnings uh, and prices of stocks. Very refreshing to hear you say that as somebody who is my job. It is to hang on to every word the Fed says. So uh, covering the economy and the Fed. So um, I appreciate your perspective there for us, James. But this is um, really interesting, this AI-led super cycle. I mean, take us through that and how like people are really gonna get um, you know, behind the idea that AI seems to be what you're saying here will be the primary market driver rather than the Fed. That's a kind of revolutionary idea. Well, it seems revolutionary because the last two years, that's all we hear about. But if you think about the longer term, and I've been doing this for 35 years, um, the Fed is usually not the focus of the conversation all the time. It really is more about corporate profits or how what's the health of the economy. And that's why we think we're going to sort of move towards that. Um, you know, the AI sort of super cycle that we envision, you know, you just think about how companies, and it's not just tech companies getting more productive with tech and AI. I think it's really going to go across all sectors. I mean, at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference last week, I am in San Francisco right now, even though I'm based in Manhattan. Uh, But last week, the, the buzzword across the healthcare companies was AI. And I think investors should recognize AI is going to be crossing lots of different sectors, and it's going to make these companies much more productive. And we think that earnings over the next five to seven years um, possibly triple. And, you know, that that's what leads us to these large uh, index uh, uh, focus points we have, like where the Dow will be seven to 10 years from now. We think it's a triple hundred thousand, hundred thousand Dow. OK, we're going to hold you to that. Hard to believe. Um, well, yeah, I'll be back in 10 years. <laughs> uh, having lived through the dot com bubble. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of flotsam and jetsam, uh, but eventually, yeah, it was a revolutionary, the the internet for all of us. Um, when does AI really start to gel in terms of productivity and in terms of sales for the companies that are doing AI? I guess, you know, NVIDIA, one of the obvious choices there. Yeah, and, and, and I would like to say that today is a microcosm of what I view uh, over the next three to five years. You know, you see this big NASDAQ move on, on Taiwan Semi's numbers. And, you know, how long does it take for AI to really show up in the earnings and the profitability and productivity? It's a very good question. Now, some places it's already showing up, and we've seen that in the earnings reports of the early adapters in technology. I'm talking about technology companies using a, the NVIDIA chips like a Microsoft or a Google, you're already seeing that, you know, affecting their uh, their bottom line. Um, but, you know, I think for it to be seen across a lot of the other sectors that we envision it, it affecting, investors are going to need to be patient. But, you know, one thing about the stock market that you both know, it's a discount mechanism. 
So, you know, the stock market's not going to wait for the earnings to uh, get accretive because of AI. It's going to discount that before it happens. So I think investors should be really careful here about being too bearish, too Fed-centric, and just be like, okay, wait a minute. If this is real, if this is going to lead to productivity growth, higher margins and in, in, in corporate profits, you want to kind of buy dips here. And even those dips might be shallow, uh, as this recent one has been. So uh, I think we should be really careful about being too bearish. Oh, you gave the Dow fork. What about the NASDAQ 100? Well, I think that's really where you, as an investor, you can't ignore the Magnificent Seven and the NASDAQ 100. It's very important. I know people think, oh, gosh, it's a nosebleed. Just got like 10 seconds left there. Bleed leaves, um, but you know the, these stocks are cheap relative to their growth. Nvidia's gotten lower PE as the earnings have gone up this year. All right, that's I'm going to say that's the San Francisco view, <laughs> the San Francisco loft view. That is <laughs> James Demmer, chief <laughs> investment officer at Main Street Research, joining us from San Francisco. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Well, a Fed pivot seems to be underway, but the uh, the timing, that's uh, under question right now. How does this change your investment strategy? Let's put that question to our uh, next guest this morning, Kara Murphy, Chief Investment Officer with Castra Investment Management. Good to see you again. So uh, this back and forth, you know, March, uh, now maybe June, uh, two cuts, six cuts, who knows? I can't keep track. Um, what does it do to your investment strategy? We're all having a little trouble keeping track. You know, the market has been all over the place on this one. You know, in December, as the Fed started to get more dovish, futures markets started to price in five to six cuts for next year. 
you know, anybody who's been a Fed watcher for a long time had to be a little suspicious about that prediction. Um, and then, of course, more recently, we've had jobs data come in a little bit more bullish. Um, retail spending today looked a little bit better. So there continues to be a remarkable amount of momentum on the services side of the economy, which has to give Fed uh, Fed policymakers pause. So no surprise, really, that um, that cut for March is starting to be priced out of markets. And I think in general, what we're going to see is fewer cuts and later in the year than what the market had been predicting in December. You think that the, the momentum then is going to continue into later this year as well? Is that essentially the read through on that? We do. I mean, in general, we think that there's a fair amount of momentum in the economy and in the markets in general. So it's still a pretty good environment for investors. Probably not a repeat of what we saw in 2023. But we are starting to see, you know, underlying momentum within um, the manufacturing sector, right? That's been really beaten up last year. It seems to be maybe stabilizing. So that's potential tailwind heading into next year. And then, of course, if you look at areas in the market outside, you know, the MAG-7, the ones that really drove returns last year, there are a lot of pretty interesting opportunities. So we think that there are some nice, you know, sort of uh, uh, tailwinds heading into the rest of 2024. Okay, so are you extending that uh, outlook into uh, small? and mid caps? Yeah, I mean, that, that's an easy place to kind of look. You can look elsewhere in the S&P, even outside those core group of names that have done remarkably well. But like small caps are a really great example in that if you look at the Russell 2000 versus S&P 500, we're at really extreme levels of underperformance, extreme levels of lower valuations relative to large caps. So, you know, we have really, um, really negative sentiment that's built into these small cap names. And even if you do have headwinds for there, you know, how much is too much? How much pessimism is too much? And so we think over the medium term, those small caps can actually offer some really nice is returns. Like a, uh, is there like a Magnificent Seven in the Russell 2000? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah, I would know. <laughs> yeah, who's out there that's, not I don't really. know. In like the, At least not yet. Who knows? <laughs> who knows? They haven't announced themselves yet. All right. Maybe your crafts cool. making business or whatever you're doing because you're so handy. John, <laughs> John was just telling you're us not that he's let that down, are you? I'm not. I, I really. Anyways, we're going to ask Kara the smart question. So, so Kara, tell us that call on small caps. Would you say that's your highest conviction view for this year? So, I mean, we see opportunities in a number of different places, and that's sort of what I like about 2024 and how it's setting up. Certainly, small caps look attractive. Uh, mid caps look attractive. Outside the U.S., you have similar issues, right, where non-U.S. versus U.S. has had remarkable underperformance, remarkable um, low valuations. There also you have the um, buffer of higher dividend yields. And then in fixed income as well, you know, we, we talked about maybe needing to get a little bit more cautious on when the Fed starts to cut rates. But the fact is, most asset classes within fixed income are starting at higher yields than we've seen in 10 years. So even without Fed rate cuts, I think you can have a pretty nice return on the fixed income side as well. So I, I think there are a number of areas where investors can play. I think I put this question to every guest that we say, but in a, a disinflationary environment or a, a deflationary environment, what does that do to earnings, especially um, company sales? Yeah, so certainly as we start to see inflation levels come down, deflation is always a little bit of a, a dangerous monster. But, but let's assume we're in disinflation. Those rates are coming down. 
it should slow top line. Um, but what also typically happens is that valuations then do better, right? Because you have more certainty about what those earnings levels are going to be further out. So even if earnings levels sort of come down a little bit, valuations then have more room to go on the upside. So we're only really just starting to knock on the door of earnings season, just had the big U.S. banks report in the past week. Do you have any you know, big calls you know, for this quarter in terms of themes to look out for and um, you know, just generally where um, the, the momentum is heading into the new year? Yeah, so, uh, you know, around about the third quarter of last year, we started to see corporate earnings really bottom. So number one, in general, we want to make sure that those earnings are continuing to lift off of the bottom. I think another thing that we'll be looking for is being able to hear companies talk specifically, help clear out some of the noise in the economic data that we've had. You know, we talked about labor, we talked about retail sales, home builders' confidence has been increasing. But there's a ton of seasonal volatility in those numbers, both because of COVID and because of the holidays and whatnot. So hearing companies specifically talk about what they're seeing on the floors of their stores and whatnot is going to be really important. You know, that kind of reminds me of a lot of what um, Michelle Bowman at the Fed's been saying of like just, you know, being a bit cautious about the hard data and what the revisions might show. Do you think that's maybe something investors are also a bit wary of if um, if this data is really maybe not as strong as it's been made out to be? I, I think investors should always be a little wary, particularly around this time of the year. And then we also have this issue that's been pretty consistent over the last couple of years about fewer and fewer people and businesses participating in these surveys. So just just by that alone, the quality of the data that we get today is lower than what it might have been a couple of years ago. Well, she's harping on the um, the revisions. Uh, no, the response rates there. That's the something that's been rates. really yes. poor with um, jolts in particular. Um, which, you know, yeah. that's one, that one we really look at a ton for those job openings. Um, that's, that one's already a bit difficult to interpret because it's reported with a month lag. So a lot of, yeah, I mean, there, yeah, it's really more been the labor ones, though, there, right, Kara? Or you think response rates really well, across the board? consumer confidence as well. Yeah, oh, so consumer okay. confidence. And again, we've seen some weird responses in general. Some surveys are telling us that consumers remain very low in terms of confidence. Other ones are looking okay. But then if you look at the response rates within each of those, they're much lower than what they used to be. So it's hard to know how much uh, stake to put in those. So it's consistent across a lot of different um, economic data. Before you go, can you give us name, individual names? I don't know if you do that, or just sectors or what, uh, I don't know. Let's do energy, So in general, in sectors... Yeah, well, we actually think over the medium term, energy is actually fairly interesting. Um, You know, the underlying commodities have kind of had their own cycle. But if we look at investment levels uh, in those companies, they've been remarkably low, which often presages a pretty good kind of medium term return environment. Valuation levels are half of what their historic levels are. So again, over a couple of year period, we think you can find a lot of interesting opportunities there. I was hoping you might say some names and we would hear what the Magnificent Seven of the Russell 2000 <laughs> is. <laughs> the mini-mags, the mini yes. I guess. We'll call it that. All right, Kara, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Kara Murphy, good to see you again. Uh, Chief Investment Officer with Kester Investment Management. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade. Unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading.
Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to The Tape. Catch our live program, Bloomberg Markets, weekdays at 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio, the TuneIn app, Bloomberg.com, and the Bloomberg Business app. You can also listen live on Amazon Alexa from our flagship New York station. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Will Naskovitz <laughs> is CEO and Portfolio Manager at Heartland Advisors. So, uh... What is uh, what is your method for valuing stocks? Let's start there, because I think I know what your answer is. Well, thanks for the opportunity to be here. You know, our process is our 10 principles of value investing, and we utilize it to keep our exposures in check. There's a lot of uncertainty in the marketplace today, the election, geopolitical, hard, soft, no landing, et cetera. So we want to be mindful of where we're exposed, overweight, underweight, given the uncertainties out there, then use our process, our 10 principles of value investing to keep those in check. So, you know, something that John's been wanting to ask a lot of our guests here is, who is the Magnificent Seven? Me. I'm just saying, I think if if John wants to know, then someone else does too. You were, you were a man of the people. So if, anyways, the question for you then, Will, what is the Magnificent Seven of the Russell 2000? We'd all love to know. Well, that's a great question. I'm not sure that there is a MAG-7 within the Russell 2000. There's a, it's a benchmark that's populated with a significant chunk of companies that are unprofitable. I think that creates lots of opportunities that said to for active investors to pick off those businesses that are high quality, that are getting caught up in the near-term uncertainty and create value through our, for our clients longer term. Okay, what's get more into the differentiation between the smaller caps, the mids, and the the mega caps at this, and uh, the advantages to investors at this point. Well, I think that the mid caps have some or big caps, excuse me, have some wonderful companies within it, but there's also wonderful companies in mid cap and small cap places. You know, we're optimistic on JB Hunt. They report later today. It's in the industrial space. It's a leader in the intermodal offering. Their scale and their relationship with Burlington Northern is second to none. And we see this as a classic self-help opportunity or catalyst. I mean, I see their trucks on the road, on the turnpike. They're a shipper or what do they do again? They provide that container on the back of that tractor. They're the leader in that space. They have a, a long-term agreement with Burlington Northern, that container that goes on a rail. The cost advantages of intermodal relative to truckload are very significant. The broader space has been challenged because of rail service issues. We think that's in the rearview mirror, and we think that intermodal in general is going to continue to take share away from truckload. That would obviously be very positive for J.B. Hunt, which we think is in the cards. So would you say you're um, pretty bullish on that sector more broadly, or it's really just this name? And if so, then where are maybe some other areas you're looking at, too? 
Well, I think it's important for investors back to that earlier commentary of understanding your exposures. Everyone wants to talk about what they're overweight, what the opportunity is. It's equally important, also maybe even more so to understand the downside. Are you comfortable with those underweights? J.B. Hunt falls within industrials. We actually have an active underweight there. That's unique for us. We've historically added value there. Um, but right now, that universe in terms of the risk reward of the broader mid cap industrial space is not super compelling. We do find opportunities, though, or if I think there's an opportunity in JB Hunt. Another active underway we have is in with financials. That's a big component of both the mid cap and small cap uh, Russell indices, our benchmarks, if you will. The one name that we're excited about, and it's down today in our report, is, is Northern Trust. That's a duration catalyst expectations we believe are very low. And we think. We don't know what the Fed's going to do. We don't know where the economy is going to go, but all likelihood, we're probably going to see some credit deteriorate here in the quarters ahead. Northern Trust should be a well, relative winner within the financial space. They also have a significant degree of higher fee-based revenue. And we see a sell self-help story here too, is they're addressing perhaps some cost bloat associated with uh, the significant wage pressure we're there right now. You know, their their pay tax margins are somewhere on the mid 20% range. We see a pathway to 30% or that's their long-term guidance. And we think that is the is buy side and sell side ex- expectations adopted. That should be very positive for Northern Trust. Okay, it's safe to say these are more domestically oriented stocks because they are smaller cap. As such, does that mean they're immune from some of the concerns that we see with the larger cap stocks, whether it be geopolitical or, I don't know, whatever? I think the reality is we're an intertwined world. of Every business in some shape or form is going to be impacted from higher commodity prices, obviously, which was an occurrence associated with the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Now we're having challenges with the container rates, with the, the issues that we're seeing in the Red Sea, et cetera. So you just have to be aware of those exposures, understand them, and make sure you're comfortable with them in terms of that over and underweight and balancing it out with your process. Tell us then about uh, maybe the risk from an um, election perspective. That's certainly got to be a domestic one on your mind. That's a great question. If I think if, you know, sticking with the two names that we talked about, if Trump wins, I suspect that would be good for Hunt. I think we'll continue to see this reshoring trend. He was obviously big on tariffs, discussing trade. You're going to continue to see businesses invest back here in the United States. That should be good for, for Hunt. I don't know this for certain, but I think his victory would probably lift CEO confidence, high net worth confidence, because there'd be the thinking that there'd be less regulation coming out of the beltway. That should be good for Northern Trust. If Biden gets reelected, I'm not sure what the headwinds would be for J.P. Hunt in the near term. Northern Trust being a financial, I suspect that you know, there'd be continued regulatory scrutiny across the broader financial space, although I don't think Northern Trust would be you know, under the microscope. All right. Where do you see your your benchmarks? Time to uh, put you on the spot. Uh, year end. I mean, everybody's told us what they think about the S and P five hundred, five thousand ish. Your benchmark is what the Russell. Yeah, the Russell two two thousand value for our small cap products and the Russell mid cap value for our, for our mid cap product. We don't have a, a long term target for either of those, but we're going to continue to focus on taking what the market gives us. A good example of this, you know, we're talking about the Fed a little bit here too. If you rewind the clock back to August of 2022, Powell had a very aggressive, intense presentation in Jackson Hole. Early cyclical stocks sold off into the fall. We pounced on that opportunity and our shareholders have benefited. I suspect whether the Fed raises, holds, or cuts rates, there's going to be volatility. So stick to your process, understand how your portfolio is exposed, and capitalize on those opportunities that get presented to you. 
All right, thanks, Will. Nice to talk to you. Great discussion. Uh, Will Naskovitz, he's the CEO, Portfolio Manager at Heartline, uh, Heartland Advisors, making the case for mid and smaller cap stocks. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.